0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Over the years, we've talked about chronic pain, and we've talked to chronic pain patients who suffered tremendously. It's agony. We're not talking about headaches here, a little bump there, a little nick there. We're talking about people who live in 24-7 agony, and they are in need of pain relief. And for so many, it has been and continues to be prescription opioid medication, pain medication. And if you use the word opioid, there's an immediate withdrawal. People just lean back and say, terrible. No, it isn't. Not for the pain patients who are managing their medications properly, who have a relationship with their doctors, who have been on the same medication for years. And yet many of these patients are facing very difficult times. Now, let me begin by saying the reason I'm doing this is the Toronto Board of Health, with the support of the Toronto Chief of Police, is seeking federal government backing for decriminalizing personal possession of small amounts of illegal drugs. Not going to argue that. That's a debate for another day. But while this is going on, while the Board of Health, with the support of the Chief of Police, is seeking federal government backing for decriminalizing or personal possession of small amounts of illegal drugs, more than a million Canadians who suffer with often life-altering and frankly, sometimes suicide-causing, debilitating, chronic pain. They're increasingly being refused continuation of their opioid pain medications. And we can talk about that. I'm sure we will. In the United States, the American Medical Association is adopting, I understand, a more pain-patient-friendly approach, finally. And families of pain patients who commit suicide in the U.S. are beginning to turn to the courts. And a U.S. court just weeks ago awarded a $7 million settlement or judgment to the widow of a chronic pain patient who was refused his prescription medications and then took his own life. So the court, the jury, listened, heard the case, and awarded $7 million. Kate Nicholson is a former chronic pain patient and U.S. Department of Justice lawyer, She's the founder and president of national, the National Pain Advocacy Center. She's appeared on TED Talk, and she's been on this program many times, and we've talked about this issue of chronic pain. How are you, Kate?
1: I'm well, Roy. How are you?
0: I'm great. Thank you very much for coming on the air. And before we do anything else, Kate, what I'd like to do is I want our listeners to hear some audio. And it's the audio of a young mother her name is April. I don't know anything other than that about her. The odd, the, uh, the, uh, the video, the, the audio is going to come from, appeared on YouTube. You've seen this one, eh, Kate?
1: Uh, I'm not sure.
0: Okay. Yes. Well, we're going to play just two minutes of this young mother who has stage four breast cancer and has just walked out of the pharmacy where she was to have her pain medication oh. prescription filled. And I want our listeners to listen to this young mum and how she describes her life and as she's how she's being treated as a chronic pain patient.
2: So I'm just leaving my pharmacy. I'm not I'm not I'm frustrated, and that's why I'm crying. I get pain pills every maybe every two, three months. Okay. I can make one monthly prescription of pain pills last two or three months because I don't really take it unless I absolutely need it. And when you have metastatic cancer in your bones, you need it because sometimes the pain is so much you can't even function. And I just want to function. I just want to be able to go to work, and I want to be able to sleep, and I want to be able to do things with my child, and and I just want it not to hurt all the time. So my regular pharmacy, it's Rite Aid Pharmacy. I've gone there since they've opened. I've probably been there for twenty years. I've had a hard time getting my pain pills filled from them for as long as I can remember from probably, you know, I would say at least two or three years. Every time I take my pain pill prescription there, they give me the runaround. It's, it's that, um, they don't have enough in stock or they don't, um, they need me to come back tomorrow because maybe, you know they can't fill it today they have to do it tomorrow or something stupid it's always something there's always some stupid excuse and it's stupid it's stupid excuses it's a pharmacy and i know that there's stricter tighter controls on that stuff and for good reason you know but i've got cancer i've terminal cancer
0: so that's just two and a half minutes it goes on and if that has affected you it should then the rest will affect you as well you can find the link on my uh, twitter feed at the roy green show we uh, placed it there today at the roy green show kate when you hear this young woman um this is so often the truth isn't it this is so often what happens to chronic pain patients. We're not talking again about people who have headaches. We're talking about people who are living in absolute um, surging agony. When you hear this, what are you hearing?
1: Yeah, uh, Unfortunately, um, I had seen that, that particular clip before. Unfortunately, I hear these stories almost every day. I get emails from complete strangers talking uh, about the inability to either um, get their prescriptions filled at pharmacies. We, we we talk about that as the pharmacy crawl. Um, when you're in a lot of pain, it's also really hard to have to go back again and again to the pharmacy. It may be difficult to sit or to stand. Um, it's happening with insurers denying people's claims for medication. And as you know, it's also happening um, when physicians are, are, are concerned about oversight and are uh, sort of forcibly taking people down or off their medication in ways we now have dozens of studies showing increase uh, their risk of death in addition to destabilizing their health, their mental health and lives. And so it's, it's tragic. It is what brought me into this conversation Um, in 2017. I am someone who used opioids for a period of time when I had very severe um, pain after a surgical injury um, was largely unable to sit, stand or walk. Um, And uh, so this, problem is what started me in advocacy and unfortunately it's very widespread and while i i do understand your outrage that people being prescribed a legal medication by a doctor you know sort of can't get them um and at the same time we're having a conversation about decriminalization I, I i do agree with decriminalization for possession because i don't think that the way the drug war is waged um is disconnected from what's happening to pain patients and the stigma to take of controlled substances and lots of, you know, sort of misunderstandings um, that abound. But, you know, chronic pain patients have just been caught in the crosshairs of, you know, um, this uh, drug overdose crisis and have been the collateral damage. And I I think uh, I was just on Capitol Hill last week talking to to regulators. I think people are starting to understand this more in this country, but um, it's been a brutal or five years for people having to live with this day in and day out and being denied their medication
0: this is after the uh, CDC recommendations which were adopted in this country as well now uh, and I'm not I'm not suggesting that uh, I'm not I'm not equating what's happening in Toronto with what's happening to chronic pain patients it was just the fact that the Toronto Board of Health with the support of the chief of police is seeking federal government support on decriminalization of possession of illegal drugs, small amounts for personal use. That just gave me the thought that we need to talk again about what's happening to chronic pain patients and the and the challenges they're facing and the medications that are being uh, refused. And doctors have told me, and I know you know this, Kate, better than I, doctors have said, uh, hey, I'm reluctant to prescribe pain meds because I'm afraid of losing my license. I'm not overstating it, am I? No,
1: you're not, actually. Um, you're definitely not. I mean, Human Rights Watch did a big report in 2018, where it interviewed a lot of providers who said exactly that, you know, um, patients are becoming liabilities. And it, it is not, you know, it isn't my best medical judgment that this person be continued on this medication, but I can't afford to lose my license. Interestingly, this, the U.S. Supreme Court is going to be hearing um, sort of a, a case um, this term about the standards under which you can prosecute a, a, a physician. Um, under the controlled substances act, so maybe maybe there will be some clarity from that.
0: Yeah, and there was a case, and uh, uh, I know you're probably more familiar with this case than I. But there was a case in uh, in in Florida where a woman was awarded seven million dollars by a jury, a jury award after her husband committed suicide after he was denied his pain meds.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a pretty it was a pretty big case in the U.S. Um, He had been um, in a treatment facility um, in a different state. He'd been in the hospital for a very long time and in a rehab center, and they had placed him on a higher dose of opioids and then went back, and he he sort of experienced a gap in care. He went back to his home state um, and tried to get a prescription filled by the provider, and basically the provider said, well, I can't, you know, you you went through your medication too quickly. I can't see you for another seven days. He was he was very desperate. It was like a fifty five percent reduction, I think, um, which is dangerous in in his opioid use. And um, he and his wife tried many times to call the the, the office and, and get some help. He's a wheelchair user, so someone with very serious pain. Um, and you know, when they finally denied it, he sent his. Wipe a note saying that was the end. He he just couldn't take it anymore. They were denying the script, and, and he um, died by suicide right after that.
0: There uh, We have uh, Dr. Stefan Curtis. Am I pronouncing his name correctly, Kate? Uh,
1: Curtis. Cortez.
0: Curtis. Cortez. He's gotten in touch with us and because uh, he knew you tweeted out there you're going to be on the show, and I think he's going to be with us in just a moment. Um, Wonderful. Yeah.
1: Stefan and I work together often.
0: Okay. Let me uh, let me get him on right now. I believe he's ready. Dr. Curtis, are you there?
3: Yeah, I am.
0: Thanks very much for joining us. It's Roy Green uh, with Kate Nicholson.
3: Yeah, it's great to be on.
0: Um, Dr. Cortez, what is your involvement with chronic pain?
3: So I'm a primary care doctor and have taken care of uh, very high-vulnerability patients for a long time, particularly people who are homeless or formerly homeless, who have very high rates of chronic pain. And I've paid a lot of attention, and also high rates of addiction, by the way. Um, So I've paid a lot of attention to the policy surrounding prescription of opioids. I certainly prescribe uh, opioids to some of my patients who have long-term pain. Uh, And I've always been really interested in how policy changes sometimes leave people uh, in serious trouble, healthcare policy changes. And that's something that I noticed as we started our major reduction in the United States in 2016. And I grew increasingly alarmed at what was happening to patients who were kind of caught in the crossfire.
0: What's happening with doctors? I, I heard, and I mentioned this to Kate, and she and I have talked about this before, doctors have said that they are under significant pressure not to continue with, uh, with, with pre- prescriptions, with medication prescriptions, if they're at a certain level the colleges don't approve of, the colleges of phys- surgeons or physicians and surgeons don't approve of, or their American equivalent. Uh, is, is that happening in the United States, where doctors are under huge pressure?
3: Yeah, I think it's a little different between Canada and the U.S. because in the U.S. we have a major criminal justice aspect to this, which is that the United States Department of Justice has the power to um, to launch charges, criminal charges against physicians for their prescriptions. So that, that is a little bit different from simply the pressure that would come from a provincial college, which might be pressure of its own, of course. But in both cases, what we're talking about is doctors don't have a lot of background training in pain or in rehabilitation. And so their original prescriptions, they didn't really understand what they were doing when they ran those prescriptions up, to be fair, or at least not all of them did. And then when the pressure came down and said, look, we've got to really change everything because the opioid crisis is somehow tied to this, doctors were like, okay, well, I don't know much about this anyway, and I certainly don't want to lose my license. So you have a kind of uneducated population of people with prescriptive authority who are easily pushed around because fundamentally they never were trained. (laughs) <laughs> in the issues that they're treating, uh, yeah. which is different from, say, heart disease or lung
0: disease. Yeah, uh, Kate, what needs to be said here? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to uh, push you aside or ignore you. Uh, what, what needs to be said? What do our listeners need to know today?
1: Well, I, I do think also, um, you know, Canada has taken a, a slightly more aggressive stance um, in terms of tapering, what you're talking about, how, you know, taking people who already have been on these medications at stable doses for a long time. And there are studies that show that, Risks can rise um, with dose. And so I think, you know, the policymakers were trying to address that, but um, many more overdose deaths occur at lower doses. They usually occur uh, even when they involve a prescription opioid um, uh, in people who have many, many substances, legal and illegal, in their system. Um, Prescribing has dropped in this country by 60% since 2011, and overdose deaths have only escalated because they're being driven by a tainted both in the US and Canada by a tainted government supply. Right. I mean, tainted, sorry, tainted uh, free supply. Um, and the government really isn't doing a lot to address, Okay, I, I would say, the current problem.
0: If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.